Welcome to Mock 10 Sports in this October 19th, 2023 episode. I appreciate you joining us. Got a lot to cover here. Season's flying by. Season is flying by. It's already week eight. It fucking happens every year. Every year, it feels like the season just absolutely, it's week one, and then you're like, all right, creeps week two or three, and then it's boom, it's Halloween, and then boom, it's Thanksgiving weekend. We got feast week. We got rivalry weekend, conference championships. Then it kind of gets into that December 17th through 19th bowl game, and then we finally get to the 28th through the 31st, wherever the playoffs usually stand, maybe January 1st sometimes, Uh, and it's over. Before we blink, it's over. So don't take it for granted, guys. We got four conference matchups on the docket for you this weekend. LSU being the only team out of conference. They play Army at home on Saturday night. We got four SEC matchups, though. You got Georgia, Florida, Texas A&M, Banding, Kentucky, all on buys. Uh, all four of these matchups just kind of have a different feel to them for whatever reason. Just all a little bit kind of different, but important for all the reasons. Like we got Missouri, South Carolina. Missouri doesn't really need to sleepwalk into that. They're looking towards a bye. They have Georgia after that. South Carolina really needs to go look improved on defense. How do they bounce back after a massive loss at home? They blew a 10-point lead with five minutes left. How do they react? Uh, Ole Miss-Auburn. I mean, Hugh Freeze, Lane Kiffin. Auburn's a tough place to play. Ole Miss still trying to stay in the SEC West race. Auburn trying to get something going on offense. Can the – Emotional support of the crowd willed them to a victory on Saturday. Uh, we have Mississippi State, Arkansas. Both Zach Arnett and Sam Pittman need these games, guys. They both need these games. It's a must. Sam Pittman already came out. We'll discuss the game. He already came out and said it's a must win for him Saturday. They're finally back at home. They probably had to be shown where their home locker room was. They haven't been there in that very long. But it's a massive game for both guys, both teams. Then obviously Alabama, Tennessee, the third Saturday in October. Tennessee still wanting to stay in the SEC East race. Alabama still wanting to stay, stay in the college football playoff race. I mean, obviously Tennessee's still now with only one loss to Florida. But a loss here, Tennessee's probably out of the SEC East race. Alabama could still go win the West with a loss here. But, man, Alabama tried to avenge the loss from last year. But we got a lot going on, especially with four with four games, uh, only four matchups. We got a lot going on. We also had SEC basketball media days for yesterday in Mountain Brook. We discussed some initial thoughts, but we're just three way, just under three weeks away from tip, November 6th. We'll be fired up. Also, we just wanted to tell you, we will have our basketball pre-show or preseason show um, on, oh, let's see, we're going to do it. Look at the calendar. We're going to do it on Monday, October 30th. The me and Max Barr from Southeastern 14, we will do the 2023 SEC basketball preseason show. We'll get to that. We'll talk some SEC media days. Then also, we we had a fantastic guest for you tonight, former Tennessee running back and SEC running back coach Jay Graham, but he had a family emergency come up. I don't know the details of that. He just texted me last minute and said, hey, I had an emergency come up. I'll come on next week. Prayers out to him. Hope all is right. But he was going to join us. He Unfortunately, he will not. Uh, but then we're going to get into some week eight money making weekend bets. We got seven on the docket. I had 10 last week, I think. Only like about seven. Remember, I don't do the same amount each week. What I like is what I like, uh, but we'll go about that. But first, around the SEC, let's get to it real quick. Let's get right into it. Shane Beamer breaking his foot. A lot of been talked about that. I, didn't, I just was going to touch on it just because. 
yet heard about it since our last episode on Monday. Shane Beamer, though, breaking his foot. Uh, yeah, I mean, is a leader of an organization as big as a, essentially the CEO of a big organization like the University of South Carolina is, the football program. I don't think you should be that emotional, but also as someone who has competed in the arena before, you, you – Anyone who's competed at a high level in an arena before, even go back to high school too, people, the great competitors are emotional to some extent. It matters to them. And I, I get it, but I think the bigger issue here is Shane Beamer and his team, in my opinion, blowing the 10-point lead with five minutes left at home. If they would have won the game, this is a non-issue. Granted, I don't think he's kicking his foot uh, or kicking his foot on a Gatorade uh, cooler and breaking his foot if that's the if – that, if, if they win the game. But – I think the bigger – this is a non – I think people who don't like Shane Beamer are going to be like, he's too emotional. Look at him. You can't be a CEO and be that emotional. I'm with you. I completely understand that. I'm 100% with you. But I think that's just kind of his personality. Would you rather him be who he is or be like a fake tough guy, doesn't care? He just wears his emotions on his sleeves. It is what it is. Uh, I don't really think that's a big issue. I'll be interested to see how he is on the sideline. I mean, I was with Gus Malzahn when he broke his foot at UCF or his ankle or his tibia or whatever. It's, uh, it broke something, and he, they had to <laughs> – SMU had to build, like, a fort on the sideline for him. I can tell you they were not happy, SMU, because SMU because if one of their players were going to run into it, I think their strength coach, who is now at TCU Cause, I think his name was going to threaten to kick somebody's ass, I think. That would happen. So, But, again, it'll be more of the logistical stuff. How does that go down for South Carolina now that he – is he in a boot? Is he on crutches? But from an emotional standpoint, yeah, probably don't kick the cooler – uh, I mean, he came out and said, I wasn't just going around throwing stuff, kicking stuff. Well, I mean, you did it, but it is what it is. I think this is only a topic because it's it's the low-hanging fruit right now. They're struggling. Their coach is emotional. A lot of people, I feel like you either like Shane Beamer or you don't. I feel like I'm one of the few. I'm not really a fence rider, as most of my buddies know. But in this, I mean, I'm fine with Shane Beamer. It is what it is. is are they struggling? Absolutely. I mean, is Spencer Rattler and Xavier Leggett they're really the only thing going for them? For sure. they got to get some things figured out. But it is what it is. Should he probably have acted like that? No, but he is an emotional guy. Wears it on his sleeves. Continuing around the SEC, Malachi Moore, questionable. Questionable this weekend for Alabama. Trez Marshall and C.J. Dupree, Trez Marshall being the inside linebacker, C.J. Dupree tight end, probable according to Alabama. Auburn's DB's coach, Wesley McGriff, who I worked with at Auburn back in 2016, temporarily stepping away from Auburn right now. Is he probably going to work from a distance? I don't know the details of that. I'm just bringing it to you. But it uh, sounds like it's a personal issue. Don't know further than that. But from a football standpoint around the league, that's where we're at. Let's get to 2023 SEC basketball media days. It's an interesting setup. I always think they could have – they didn't even show the whole media days on the SEC network. They put the fine bomb show on. It's weird to me. Real interesting setup from people who go and talking to him. It kind of sounds like it's kind of a half-ass deal. And no offense to anybody who runs it, if you're listening. I'm sure you do a fantastic job. But it just it's an awkward look. It's got chandeliers and this nice Mountain Brook area. And if you're not familiar with Mountain Brook, it's a very nice area in the Birmingham suburbs. Um, it's interesting. SEC Media Days is there. I know the Birmingham. I know Birmingham's where the SEC offices are. <clears throat> but just it's interesting. Interesting it's there. Uh, it's, it's a real casual thing. Guys are walking around in their basketball jerseys, coaches and just pullovers and polos. It's what it is. But still, hey, any good basketball news? Basketball's here just under three weeks out. But the SEC media did release its preseason basketball poll. Let's go to it. 
I'm going to show it to you here, tell you where I agree, disagree. I'm not going to tell you too much just because I'm going to come out with mine here in a couple of weeks. But the SEC media leads off. They think Tennessee is going to win the league coming in one. I mean, they do have a lot of guys' bags. Kai Ziegler, uh, Santiago Vescovi. Uh, they brought in the Dalton Connect kid. Uh, who's their scorer? Should be pretty good. Texas A&M. I mean, Buzz Williams and his team has everybody back. Preseason player of the year, Wade Taylor. He's back. Arkansas, they get Travon Brazil back. Devo Davis coming in preseason third. Kentucky. Got some big transfers in. They got Trey Mitchell from West Virginia. Um, signed a couple of big McDonald's All-Americans. Bradshaw, some of those seven-footers are hurt early in the season. Kentucky coming in at fourth. Alabama, the defending SEC champs, coming in at fifth. They don't said it. Every time Alabama's picked fifth, they end up winning the league. Maybe it's a thing. Auburn, one of their deeper teams I think they've had in the last two or three years, coming in at six. Mississippi State, Tolu Smith out for a while. Probably no conference play. Big center will be interesting to see how they bounce back, but a team that just lost a pit barely in that um, in that play-in game last year. It was a fun game. Fun game went into overtime. Mississippi State preseason seventh, though. Florida, a swing team to me, getting the eighth, eighth place vote, according to the SEC media. How does Todd Golden in this team in his second year step up? They brought some transfers in. Can't wait to dive in deep in them. They're a swing team. When I'm talking to people, I'm thinking of like them, Missouri, Ole Miss. They're kind of the swing teams in the league to me. The front, the first seven between Tennessee, Texas A&M, Arkansas, Kentucky, Alabama, Auburn, Mississippi State should all make the tournament. They're all NCAA tournament teams, in my opinion. I would be a little shocked if they didn't. I'd be a little shocked if they did not make the SEC tournament. Florida, like I said, coming in at eighth, they're a swing team. Missouri coming in as a swing team. They lost Kobe Brown, lost a couple other guys. It'll be a rebuilding year for Dennis Gates. He's a fantastic coach. They should be serviceable. Chris Beard, his first year at Ole Miss, coming in his 10th uh, in the preseason poll. Jerry Stackhouse, the, the uh, reigning SEC Coach of the Year in 22, or 23, 22, 23, coming in at number 11. Georgia, coming in at number 12. And then LSU and South Carolina rounding us out at number 13th and 14th. Like I said, Wade Taylor, preseason player of the year. Uh, the preseason all-SEC first team, Grant Nelson from Alabama, the 6'11". Kind of do everything from North Dakota State transfer. Can play the one through five spots. Very versatile player. NATO said he should be a first-round draft pick. Trevon Brazil coming in forward, 6'10", 220. The Missouri transfer coming off an injury from last year. Uh, probably would have been one of the better teams in the league. If him and Nick Smith are healthy last year, Arkansas is a lot better. They don't finish 10th in the league. Center Forward center, Janai Broom, true old-school big man. Getting that coming back, got invited to the NBA Combine, probably one of the better big men, him and Tolu Smith in the league. Justin Edwards, guard from Kentucky, getting the first team vote. Tolu Smith just mentioned him. He's on this team, he's on the first team, all SEC team as well. Santiago Vescovi from Uruguay. I feel like he's been at Tennessee since 1985, but he makes it. Then Wade Taylor, like I mentioned, he is the preseason SEC player of the year. Other guys on the preseason SEC all-second team, Mark Sears, guard from Alabama, was on the team last year. Uh, Devontae Davis, Devo Davis, for guys who are familiar in the league. Riley Kujul, the transfer from Florida, coming in. Antonio Reeves, a big get back for Kentucky. They needed to have him back. Like I mentioned, they got Trey Mitchell. Then we mentioned Zakai Ziegler. He's coming in. But, man, the SEC, dude, it's it's a good league right now. It's a good league. There's no denying that right now that this is a really good basketball league. There's no denying that. I mean, the SEC has produced more NBA draft picks in the past four years than any other league in the country. And I think a big deal was it, and Eric Musselman and John Calipari said it too. I think administrations have started being committed to basketball. For the longest time, I think people thought um, 
basketball was just something after football, but now these teams are starting to invest in coaching salaries, facilities, um, NIL for the better players out of the portal, even the high school kids. There's just a lot better coaches. I mean, you got what Eric Musselman, Nate Oates, John Calipari, um, Bruce Pearl, Buzz Williams, Chris Beard coming over from. I mean, he didn't get fired for Texas because of his ability at Tech or what he did on the hardwood at Texas. Good hardball, Ole Miss. I think Chris Jansen, Mississippi State's a good basketball coach. I'm forgetting about the dean of the league, Rick Barnes. Fantastic coach. I mean, Cal's the dean, but Rick Barnes, he's a future college basketball Hall of Famer. A lot of really good coaches in this league. Jerry Stackhouse always does a good job. Mike White does a solid job. There's a lot of good coaches in the league. There's more fan engagement. I wish the SEC Media Days for Basketball was just taking up just a step, just a little bit more. But, man, I cannot wait to talk some more. Um, SEC basketball, give you that preview with Max Barr coming Monday, October 30th. Uh, should be a fun preview show for you there. But moving on, guys, it is week eight. Let me share the screen before we get into individual games to break it down. It's what we're dealing with this week. This is the menu. <clears throat> and as we mentioned, the 11 a.m. Central Standard Time kickoff, Mississippi State at Arkansas on ESPN. If you enjoy RG3, this game is for you, but it's got a lot of implications. It's not a national game, but it's got a lot of implications. 230 CBS game. You got Tennessee, Florida. I mean, sorry, Tennessee, Alabama on CBS. To, uh, the other 230 SEC network game, South Carolina at Missouri. 6 p.m. Central Standard Time kickoff on ESPN. Ole Miss heads to the Plains. And then the SEC network, network game at night. Army at LSU. But let's get into it. Let's get into it. Mississippi State at Arkansas, 11 a.m. Central Standard Time Zone on ESPN. One second. Let's see. Yeah, we're good. All right. On 11 a.m. on ESPN, Arkansas currently favored by six and a half, setting the tone for you here. Big game. Big game for both Zach Arnett and Sam Pittman. Winter gets to breathe just a little bit for another week. Who leaves Donald W. Reynolds Razorback Stadium with their first SEC victory this weekend. It's a big game for both teams. Zach Ornette coming off a of bye week. What have they fixed? Is they incorporated Mike Wright into that system, the game plan with supposedly Will Rogers being out. Sam Pittman, they've lost four straight. I know it's against good teams. What would other teams be? What would the other teams in the league be if they would have played at LSU, AM and Arlington, at Ole Miss, at Alabama? What would be their record? A lot of them would be similar. It's a scoreboard business, guys. One coach is going to feel pretty good about themselves after this, and one's going to feel pretty rough after this. But Mississippi State, like I mentioned, coming off the bye week, rolls in 3-3, three and 0-3 three, oh in conference. Last game they played, they got a home win against Western Michigan. Now, the big news, like I just mentioned, coming out of Startville, is Will Rogers play this week? I personally don't think he does, which brings on Mike Wright, the Vanderbilt transfer who is – for the season, 8 for 11 for 61 yards and a touchdown, along with 138 yards rushing and three touchdowns. And then also throw in Jaquavius Woody Marks, most likely out as well. How does Mississippi State put this identity-less offense on the field with their backup quarterback and expect different results? I, I don't know. That will be the major question. Also, factor in the Mississippi State defense has gotten worse, currently ranks 12th in the conference in scoring defense. It's not good in Stalver right now. They've had a bye week after their win against Western Michigan. 
Can they fix it? Arkansas, on the other hand, may be the best over team in the country. I saw the other day Josh Pate posted a question. Would Arkansas win the Big Ten West? And for people who aren't familiar with the Big Ten West, that's the division with Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota. It's not the Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State division. I think they would. Call me crazy. Call me crazy. I think they would. I really do. I think they're better than Iowa if they play them. I think they're better than all three of those teams. But to this game specifically, Arkansas has to feel great about being back at home for the first time. Now, they may have been shown where their locker room was, hadn't been there in a while, where the team hotel was, where they go eat for pregame, all that. They hadn't been there in a while. Just kidding. Just kidding. But like Sam Pittman mentioned, they have proven they can be a good team. They have. And ask LSU, ask Ole Miss, and ask AM, and ask Alabama. They just can't win the close games. They can't close it out in the fourth quarter. Arkansas is the better team in this game. My only question is, have they ran out of gas and looking forward to the bye week? 11 a.m. games are always weirder for the home teams. I think it's more of an advantage for the visiting team. It just takes a while to get going. It's a weird feel. But where it'll be one. Changing it up this week a little bit, where it'll be one. I'm going to give you a where it'll be one for each team instead of just one specific where it'll be one. But for Mississippi State, develop a game plan to play within Mike Wright's strengths. Now, does that guarantee a victory? Absolutely not. There's not a lot of things that are guaranteed with death, death and taxes, but it gives you the best shot. What does Mississippi State put together during the bye week knowing Rodgers most likely can't go or is limited? Wright's best weapon are his legs, and if used correctly, Mississippi State can stay out of the chains and get out of third and long, and they can get into third and manageable. If they're inconsistent third and long, this game's over. It could be a blowout. But State has to be patient, try to shorten the game here. This is their only path to victory, in my opinion. Now, on the other side, for Arkansas, stay aggressive on defense. Defensive coordinator Travis Williams, naturally aggressive guy, always has been. Even going back to UCF. But you need to stay aggressive like you have been and put Mississippi State and Mike Wright negative down in distances. I think Arkansas has a massive advantage in this one because I think State should be patient in the run game. But I think Arkansas could match that very easily as well. So you may ask, why should State, State utilize the run game if it's not the best matchup? Because it's the best matchup with Mike Wright and gives you the best chance to win. It may not be pretty, but if you're just going to drop back with Mike Wright with a struggling offensive line with a new system against aggressive defensive coordinator with an improved Arkansas defensive line, it spells trouble, especially on the road. Arkansas's front seven, like I said, much improved. Their run blitzes will be too much as they come out with the same – if they can come out with the same energy as they had the past four games. Remember, 11 a.m. is tough especially coming off four straight wins. I don't know if the crowd just can be buzzing right off the bat, a little bit more sitting on their hands, being like, I hope we come out and win this game. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But, again, 11 a.m. games are weird. But prediction, I'll be honest, I just don't see much of a path to victory here for Mississippi State, especially with what it looks like to be a team without Will Rogers heading into Fayetteville. I see some people thinking if State can get off to a hot start, maybe I'm wrong. With Mike Wright behind center, I just don't see it. I just don't see it. I do not see State getting much going on offense outside of maybe Arkansas not filling in a gap, State busting a big explosive play, but I just don't see State sustaining drives. Then you throw in K.J. Jefferson back at home, last chance against a Mississippi school, and despite Dan Enos's calling, which has been some very uninspiring offensive play calling, the Arkansas offense is plenty good enough to get scores against the Mississippi State defense that has gone backwards. A must win for both teams and coaches, but give me the team that has their toughest schedule behind them in Arkansas who could have easily won two out of four of those games and are back at home for the first time in a month. Sam Pittman openly stated they needed this one. I think they get it done. Give me Arkansas 27-13.
Next, it's the third Saturday in October, guys. It's the third Saturday in October. Kind of feels like that rivalry's getting back after next week. But Tennessee, or after last year in Neyland, Tennessee at Alabama, 2.30 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone on CBS. Brad Nessler, Gary Danielson, and the boys. Alabama currently a nine-point favorite. What an epic game we had on our hand last year in Neyland Stadium. Tear down the goalpost, sea of orange, getting secondhand smoke. Probably had to remind a couple Tennessee fans who were probably 21 or younger how to light a cigar, what that tradition probably was. Hadn't seen it in a long time. Well, I think the rivalry's a little bit bad. You know, Alabama had won 16 straight. I think the team didn't. Hear me. The fans, I think, got a little bored with the rivalry. Because Tennessee, for a while there, I mean, Kiffin was the last time the game was called. I mean, Butch Jones in 2015 had a chance, but then Derrick Henry took over. But for the most part, most of the games outside of 2009 and 2015 were double-digit blowouts. Tennessee hadn't won this game since 2006. Well, after last year, from a fan standpoint, I think from a fan standpoint, I think this game's a little rejuvenated. This rivalry's a little rejuvenated. And do the players feel that way? I think in today's time, with as much change, like I don't think players really think of the revenge factor as fans do. Now, you, know, you had guys who played like Kool-Aid McKintree, Terry and Arnold, Jace McClellan, Jermaine Burton, guys like that, they played. But guys like Deontay Lawson just played on special teams. I think it means something to these guys, but probably not. They don't take it to heart as much as the fans do. They, they just don't. But I'm sure there's something there. But this year's matchup will not be anything close to what we witnessed last year. 101 total points scored last year. They may not even score 50 points in total in this one this year. Cut it in half, potentially. Now, both teams come in with some inconsistencies at the quarterback position in Alabama's Jalen Milrow and Tennessee's Joe Milton. And both teams come in with solid to good defensive fronts. Tennessee coming off a big win at home against Texas A&M where they only put up 13 offensive points, but cranked out, racked up, whatever you want to call it, 232 yards on the ground against a solid A&M front. Same front, Alabama only rushed for 26 yards against two year, two weeks ago. Alabama coming off a home win against Arkansas where they looked in control going into the half, but had to convert a few third downs late to run out the clock. True sleepy game. Remember I mentioned earlier, there's 11 a.m. games, sleepy for home teams. That was an 11 a.m. game last week. Tennessee needs this one to stay in the SEC East race, and Alabama needs this one to stay in the college football playoff race as well. A win for Alabama, but also set up a showdown for most likely SEC West when LSU comes to town in two weeks. It's a smoke them if you got them kind of game. Where will this be one for Tennessee? Can Tennessee run the football when they get into the red zone? It's a major question. While Tennessee did not put up a lot of rushing yards in total, uh, well, I, sorry, while they did put up a bunch of rushing yards on Texas A&M, they struggled in the red zone. Eight red zone runs for 36 yards. Only three of those eight runs went for more than five yards, and one was a Jalen Wright run for 16 yards on a third and 22 where A&M was just conceding it because they had a light box. And it cut it to like fourth and six, I think. Fourth and, yeah. A lot of struggles in the red zone. A lot of pre-snap penalties for Tennessee. Joe Milton struggling, throwing an interception and a middle field safety. When the field gets condensed, he struggles, man. When the field gets condensed, Tennessee struggled this year. They will have to change that if they want to win in Tuscaloosa. Because I do not see Alabama giving up a bunch of explosive plays for scores against Tennessee like they did last year. In other words, I do not see Tennessee scoring from afar against the Alabama defense. Now, where this will be won on the other side, from an Alabama standpoint, can Alabama's offensive line hold up against a good Tennessee defensive line? 
It's crazy. I saw Tennessee only had two sacks against Max Johnson. It felt like they had six. But, again, the bad stat for Alabama, Alabama's given up four more sacks in all seven games this year. Again, some of that's on Jalen Milrow holding the ball too long. Now, Milrow's not been turnover prone this year, only four interceptions, but he does hold the ball too long at times. And this weekend has a potential to be one where guys like edge guys for Tennessee, like James Pierce, Tyler Barron, on the edge will be encouraged by a fantastic defensive line coach like Rodney Garner to have a little strip sack. They'll work on that all week because he struggles to have a feel in the – Jalen Milrow struggles to have a feel in the pocket and when someone's around him. Like Bryce Young was a magician about it. With sneak, step under, Jalen Milrow didn't have that. That's fine. Bryce Young had an elite ability of doing that. But, again, that's something Tennessee's probably honing in on. Hey, he doesn't see out of the blind side. He doesn't protect the fold. We can get this ball out. The combination – of Alabama's offensive line just having to just be serviceable, but at the same time, Milrow having that pocket awareness to know when to get rid of the football. That'll be key from an Alabama standpoint, especially especially offensively. The combination of that will determine how successful this Alabama offense will be on Saturday, who has primarily been a feast or famine type of offense. No identity. Just run on first and second down, maybe throw, set up third and eight, third and 15. Oh, shoot, big explosive play to Kobe Prentice or Jermaine Burton downfield, touchdown. That's kind of what it's been. No real flow. Now, some say he needs to take off more, but I think Milrow has a little bit of collection of nitpicky injuries from what I've heard from people that are not allowing him to be himself in the run game. If you notice, he's not shot out of a cannon like he is, like he was against Middle Tennessee State early in the year. Maybe a calf tweak, shoulder issue. I mean, this is a guy who topped out at 22 miles per hour in a game when he takes off and runs early in the year. If anyone can use this bye week coming up, it's Alabama and Jalen Milrow. So can Alabama survive these first eight games where they looked ugly at times and get to seven and one, have a real shot down the stretch to make a run in the college football playoff? Well, let's find out. It's prediction time. Both these teams can be undisciplined at times, and I don't think that changes this week. I think that's who they are after seven games. Hell, Tennessee had 12 penalties at home last week. However, I do see a path of victory, a path to victory for both teams here. Tennessee's defense is good enough to keep Alabama's offense in check to give them a shot to win the game at all. It, or at the end, remember, James Pierce, Tyler Barron, they're going to be trying to get that ball out. They're going to be trying to rip that out of Jalen Miller. I'm just telling you, I've been around Rodney Garner. Alabama is also, and is obviously really good on defense and has shown it can be explosive on offense at times. I just do not see Joe Milton going into Bryant-Denny Stadium and playing his best game of his college career because that's what it's going to take. But I, I'm genuinely interested. How will Kevin Steele – how he decides to defend Tennessee, does he only keep five defenders in the box to stop the Tennessee run game? Does he allow them to just rack up yards on the ground, kind of like AM and bank on Alabama's defense buckling down in the red zone? I think if you showed Kevin Steele a look into the future and gave him the box score from the Texas A&M game last week and said, Coach, your defense will re replicate the exact numbers that Texas A&M gave up against Tennessee last week, he would 100% take that. 332 total yards given up. You're going to do that at times in college football now. 232 yards on the ground. But wait, hold up. Only 100 yards through the air. And they Tennessee struggled in the red zone. They buckled down in the red zone. Teams this year when they play Tennessee will give up 200 yards on the ground between the 20s every week. That means holding Tennessee to 13 offensive points. I know they scored 20, but remember, one was a special team score. That's not going to get it done in Tuscaloosa, and Josh Heupel knows that. Also factor in, I think this is in Josh Heupel's head a little bit. How does Josh Heupel manage a low-scoring game? He's not used to that in his career. I saw somebody said he came up to his dad after the game post games like I managed that poorly because it was a 2013 game. He's not used to managing a game when it's close score, one possession, 
He's he's just not. And now could it now will that he get better at it? Sure, as the year goes on, you win in different ways. But we've seen the balls once on the road this year in Gainesville, and it wasn't pretty. Granted, center Cooper Mays was out that game. They looked dysfunctional. They've looked better since he's been back. But when it's all said and done, the Tennessee defense shows another solid performance, especially up front. I think they even continue the streak, a four-plus sack streak against Alabama this year. I think the offensive line for Alabama gives up four more sacks. I think Tennessee's offensive line wrecks havoc at times. But Alabama's offense and defense makes big plays in the fourth quarter to allow the tide to separate late. The vengeance loss from last year in Knoxville. Smoke them if you got them. Give me Alabama 28-17. It's going to be fun. It's going to be one of the funner. It's kind of good to have that rivalry back a little bit, if I'm being completely honest with you. Kind of like it. Like, I think for Alabama fans, it did get a little boring at times. Like, it's like, ah, 16, Derek Dooley, and then they're rolling in with four losses already. Or Butch Jones, I mean, really had what was threatened Alabama one year in 2015. Now, granted, that went down to the wire, but struggling. Then Jeremy Pruitt. I mean, the only thing you remember from the Jeremy Pruitt-Tennessee-Alabama games was when Jared Guarantano tried to sneak it over and they had him in the goal line, popped out, and uh, Trevon Diggs ran back for a touchdown. It's really the only thing you remember. But moving on, South Carolina at Missouri, 2.30 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone on SEC Network. Missouri currently favored by seven. Setting the tone, this is a Mayor's Cup game. Columbia, South Carolina, Columbia, Missouri. The trophy game, guys. But it hasn't been a great week in Columbia, South Carolina. Collapsed at home to Florida in a must-win situation. Up 10 with five minutes left. <clears throat> Can't make an open field tackle to get him off the field. Shane Beamer breaks his foot, kicking a Gatorade cooler post game you mentioned this week. The defense has been atrocious. They're statistically the worst passing defense, not only in the SEC, but the country right now. Giving up ranked 130th, giving up 321 yards per game through the air. The defense has been atrocious, man. It's unfortunate, but South Carolina is totally wasting a good year from Spencer Rattler. He's really the only thing that's going well for him right now. Him and Xavier Leggett, the passing game. Missouri rolls, honestly, coming from a different – rolls into this game coming from a totally different direction of South Carolina. They got a big road SEC East win last week versus Kentucky. And, again, I've never seen one play that just demoralized the team, like the fake punt in the second quarter day to Kentucky. Like I mentioned on Monday show, Missouri was just dominating the game. Or Kentucky was just dominating the game, 14 to nothing. Missouri's about to punt. The, Bauer, punt, the punter Bauer just – just throws a dime downfield to the gunner. I think Marquise Johnson for a score changed the entire outcome. Missouri totally dominated the game from the beginning of the second quarter on. Missouri shows a ton to play for down the stretch. They only got one loss. It was LSU in a close game. You win this game if you're Eli Drinkwitz in Missouri. You head into the bye week before a big opportunity into Athens, which will have to which will have first place implications in regards to the SEC East race. Missouri controls their own destiny in the SEC East race. Now, this is this game specifically, going back to the Mayor's Cup, the South Carolina game, before we get ahead to Georgia. It's a game Drink need, does not need to let it get does not need to let get away from you. This would this is the kind of game you're feeling good. You lose this and the season could collapse because your players are looking ahead to the bye week, going back home, hanging out with my buddies. Yeah, we're seven and one, man. We got Georgia next week for the East. You gotta win. You gotta beat South Carolina. Missouri, Missouri still has a lot of tough games left on the schedule after this. You could make an argument that. This South Carolina game could be the easiest game on their schedule, but they could also lose. That being said, Brady Cook should have another big day at home against statistically the worst pass defense in football. Also add in that Eli Drinkwitz, he's never lost to South Carolina while he's been in Missouri. He's 3-0. But where this game will be won, 
For South Carolina, you got to slow down the Missouri passing attack. That's simple. I usually try to dive in deeper. Last night when I was watching, going back, watching film, thinking about this game, it's like, no, it's two plus two equals four, Dave. Let's, let's, let's don't overcomplicate this. They have to slow down the Missouri passing attack with Brady Cook, Luther Burden, Theo Weiss, Mookie Cooper. I mean, to be fair to South Carolina, they face some pretty good quarterbacks this year, especially when you factor in that they saw Drake May in week one in their non-conference matchup against North Carolina and Charlotte. But they also made Will Rogers and Graham Mertz look like Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes. This secondary is horrific, especially at the corner position. And you may ask, what do they have to do? And Clayton White, they've struggled, but he's not a dumb guy. He's a good coordinator. His game plan is you just can't let the guys like Luther Burden and Theo Weiss get behind you. But also, at the same time, do you trust your secondary guys to go make plays when things are thrown underneath? They're a bad tackling team, South Carolina. It cost them the fourth and ten to win the game against Florida. I mean, Graham Merch checks it. He's got nothing. Throws it in the flat. They miss a tackle. A guy runs for eight more yards for a first down. I just don't think South Carolina's defense can keep stuff in front of them because their inability to tackle. I think the Gamecocks' plan needs to be, how do we create turnovers, be aggressive against an offense that's been pretty good at protecting the football? If South Carolina can get two or more turnovers, I think they have a shot. Now, on the other side, where it'll be one for Missouri, I talked about it a little bit in previewing the game. Can't be looking ahead to the bye week in Georgia. You just can't. You can't be looking ahead to the bye week in Georgia. I know it's not a specific matchup, and I usually give you more specific matchups involving this game, but South Carolina's, I mean, Missouri's better than South Carolina really across the board. Except when quarterbacks interchangeable. I mean, they're they're both playing well, Brady Cook, really since the K-State game, and Spencer Rattler's played well all year. But I mean, if you if you're Missouri, you got to put last week behind you. It's not unusual for a team like Missouri, who's played eight straight weeks, to be looking ahead to the bye week and a potential SEC East showdown with Georgia in two weeks. Missouri's the better football team, like I mentioned. And at most places, like I said, quarterback we're splitting hairs. They're a good, a really good team, which Missouri's trying to be this year. They handle business against an inferior team and a team that's reeling in South Carolina right now. Prediction. I believe Missouri somewhat sleepwalks into this one right out of the gate. I could see a turnover or South Carolina forcing a turnover. Maybe South Missouri goes for it on fourth and one, fourth and two. Um, I mean, Drink's been known to do that. South Carolina gets a stop. South Carolina, I think, comes in a little bit motivated as they can be. I think it's going to be a tight one for a while. Call me crazy. For whatever reason, Shane Beamer will always pull a rabbit out of his hat when him and his team's back against the wall. Also, throw in, it'll only make it that much better with him walking around on crutches with a boot on. At the end of the day, though, South Carolina's secondary and defense is what it is. It's not a good defensive unit. They can't tackle. They can't cover. They're all over the place. That's not changing after seven weeks. Missouri is still going to get theirs offensively. It just is what it is. I see. I could see South Carolina getting a few stops, maybe a turnover or two. They're going to at least have to get two. South Carolina isn't just going to lay down, and I think this will be a game going into the fourth quarter. But once again, the defense can't make a play when it counts, can't carry its own water for South Carolina, and I think Missouri makes it five in a row in total over the Gamecocks, four straight for Eli Drinkowitz. Give me Missouri, 41-28. It's a big game. This is a big game. Missouri needs to lock in. If you're a good football team, you handle business at home against a team you're better than. But if you're South Carolina, everyone's kind of doubting you. I mean, would it not be – Total South Carolina and Shane Beamer. He rolls in on crutches and a boot, and they go come back after everybody put them six feet under this week, myself included. Spencer Rattler balls out. Defense gets three turnovers. Wouldn't shock you, but I also think their defense is what it is. It's not good. There's a reason explosive offense. Brady Cook's been playing really good. 
And Missouri's just the better team across the board at home. I think they start off a little sluggish, but ultimately get the win at home and take home the Mayor's Cup, baby. Remember, it's a trophy game. People forget that. Then one of the underrated games in the country, not really from a record standpoint, but for a lot of different reasons, Ole Miss at Auburn, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone on ESPN. Ole Miss currently a six-and-a-half-point favorite rolling into Jordan-Hare. Setting the tone for you here. Very anticipated matchup. People, and I'm sure Lane Kiffin and Hugh Freeze as well, have both circled all year, myself included. I talked about it in the preseason. But it hadn't really been discussed much this week, which is good. Let's keep it about the game. But, man, I mean, I think both parties talking about this for a minute, going back to last year after the Arkansas game, Ole Miss just gets beat bad. Everyone thinks Lane Kiffin's going to Auburn. I think it worked out for both parties. I think Lane Kiffin's a better fit at Ole Miss than he is at Auburn. I mean, Lane Kiffin's Labrador Retriever is turned into the mascot of Ole Miss. At Auburn, that would never happen. At Auburn, that would never happen. I mean, Lane Kiffin's kind of – he's a celebrity in town. He's the face of Ole Miss football. His dog's the face of Ole Miss football. That's Lane. He needs to keep it loose, be out there, be kind of a social media celeb. At Auburn, that's not really going to cut it. They, they get bothered a little bit. There's nothing wrong with that. Also, Lane's not real lovey-dovey. He's not going to go light the Christmas tree downtown or at Toomer's Corner or here, even here in Oxford. He's going to show up with a hoodie, do it, go back. Hugh Freeze will light every Christmas tree up in town in the city of Auburn. He'll go light up his next-door neighbors. It's a perfect fit. So I think this is what it is. I just wanted to get that conversation out of the way before we started breaking down the game. But Ole Miss hadn't had, it feels like, back-to-back wins against Auburn since Dwight Eisenhower was in the White House. I mean, I think back-to-back wins since 1957 or something I looked up. But Auburn, talking about the 23 version of the Tigers, coming off a pretty disappointing loss in Baton Rouge last week. Not that they lost. I think people just wanted a little bit more creativity, wanted to see a little bit more creativity in the offense and just a little bit more effort overall uh, in Baton Rouge. The loss, like I said, was expected. You just didn't see a lot of the offense. But Auburn, just a different team at Jordan-Hare. Lane Kiffin admitted that this week. But from an Ole Miss standpoint, you're coming off a bye week, uh, winning against Arkansas two weeks ago. They're still in the SEC West race. They need to be winning every game and hoping Alabama loses twice. Maybe three times. Because I don't know if Ole Miss is going to go win in Athens because that game's coming up here in November. Just need to keep winning and cheering against Alabama is what Ole Miss needs to do right now. Winning this game, though, would set them up nice for another two weeks because they have a showdown. They play Vanderbilt at home next week, and they have the big showdown against Texas A&M the next week. And A&M's going to be coming in firing because Jimbo Fisher has to win that game, in my opinion. I think he's been told that. That's a conversation for another day. This is one preseason that I thought Auburn would get. The offense has been so porous that confidence is at E right now. It's at empty. I don't have a lot. But where this will be one for both teams, Ole Miss, similar to Missouri, you're the better team. Do not force this, Lane. Ole Miss is pretty much better at every position than Auburn, except maybe inside backer and somewhat in the secondary. Play the field position, Lane. They can't consistently put drives together. Don't go, at, go, don't go for it on fourth and one, fourth and two in your own 30 early in the game. Do not feel the need to run a fake punt, do dumb stuff. Don't allow the crowd to be able to help Auburn and will them to win in the fourth quarter. I'm telling you, if this game's close in the fourth quarter, with Auburn's fans into it, Ole Miss could be in trouble. But Ole Miss is the better team, clear as day. Clear as day, the better team. Lane just doesn't need to overthink this. Just go out there, play your game. Hey, we're not going to be dumb. We're not going to be cavalier. We're going to go play our game. 
Maybe if we're on our 30, 35, we'll go for it, but we're not going to go for it on our own side of the field. They need to focus on it. Similar to Missouri, you're the better team. Go out there and play your game. That should be enough. Do not let the crowd stay in this game late. For Auburn, be you as well, but from a different perspective, play your bread and butter. Tempo on offense. I mean, you look at Hugh Freeze now, every press conference, he just looks really down, that the offense isn't getting going. I mean, at Liberty, no one really covers Liberty. At Auburn, everybody, there's a magnifying glass. People want to know why is the offense not running? Why is Robbie Ashford not playing? Why aren't we going tempo, Coach? They were at their best offensively against Georgia when they went tempo, speaking of tempo. And this is getting to my point. I know you're not deep on defense, Hugh Freeze, and I know – or Auburn. And I know that's why you're trying to play slow so because you're getting racking up some injuries on defense. You're not deep there. Trying to limit those snaps, trying to limit your defensive snaps so they're not on the field much so they can make it through a whole season healthy. I get it. But Auburn has to go tempo. They look best when they played Georgia at home when they went tempo, and they have to be good on first down. Also, from an opposite standpoint, Auburn, you're not the better team. So maybe try an onside kick out of the half or something, some trickery. Because like I stated, in, in the early part for Ole Miss, Ole Miss is the better team. Auburn's not the better team. So you have to have some explosive plays, some trick plays to keep the crowd in. If I'm Hugh Freeze, my game plan is what gets us to the fourth quarter within a one-score game. I don't care if we're up. We could be down six or seven, but we have to be in it so our crowd can will us to a win for our next two or three defensive possessions because Auburn does play a lot better at home defensively. Tough play, toughest place to play in the SEC, in my opinion, easily. But prediction. Again, Jordan-Hare Stadium, in my opinion, is about a seven-point differential, especially at night. The place just wills Auburn to play better at home. But Ole Miss is the better football team. There's no question about it. Auburn plays better on first down offensively, gets creative some in the run game with John Jarquez Hunter. And I think Robbie Ashford at times, you got to see him a little more. I think it's going to give Ole Miss and Pete going some trouble on defense. But I do think this is going to be a one-score game in the fourth quarter. But I think the Ole Miss Rebs here finish a drive late to put the game away and give Ole Miss another week as another SEC West contender. Give me Ole Miss, 28-17. They escape the Plains. Offense puts together a key drive late to put the game on ice. Lane Kiffin, Ole Miss, probably going to be heading into November with this is a real SEC West contender. And then finally, our non-conference game here, Army at LSU, 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone in the SEC Network we talked about earlier. LSU currently a 32-and-a-half point favorite. Army heads in 2-4 and four, heading into this one. This is not your grandma's Army. They've only got two wins against Delaware State and UTSA as we speak of right now. I could see LSU not covering 32 and a half. They're traditionally, granted, Brian Kelly didn't have a big uh, sample size, but traditionally LSU does not really play that well in this. Game will be short with the way Army runs their offense. Yeah, LSU's going to get out, escape, get into a bye week, and start prepping for Alabama. And then finally, guys, before we get you out of here, and I appreciate you joining us. And again, guys, if you're a fan of the show, a fan of all this, please go to our YouTube page, like and subscribe. Give me the follow on Twitter at Mock10Sports, on Instagram, Mock10Sports. My name, Dave Shoemate, on Facebook if you're uh, on Facebook. But again, like, subscribe, comment. Tell us where we can be better. Again, I've worked in the co- I worked in college football um, for nine, ten years in the SEC at four different schools. Went to Alabama. That's where I got my start in college athletics there. Uh, feel like I know a pretty good knowledge. I can bring you a lot of insight, but we're covering SEC football, basketball, and baseball. But again, like and subscribe. It's free, guys. Show's free as we stand right now. But I appreciate you joining in. Before we get you out of here, let me make you some money. 
money-making weekend. We're just at 47% on the season. We've had two losing weekends back-to-back. This week I feel a lot better about. Week eight, let's get to it. Oklahoma, I like Oklahoma here, minus 18 and a half against UCF. Revenge game for Dylan uh, Gabriel and Jeff Levy. UCF's just not very good right now. I think John Rice Plumley's supposed to play. It's in Norman. Oklahoma couldn't have had a better week to have a bye week last week after their big win against Texas. Dylan Gabriel doesn't have a great relationship with Gus Malzahn. I think him and Jeff Levy want to embarrass UCF. 18 and a half is not enough. Give me Oklahoma big. Sticking to the SEC. Arkansas, minus six and a half. We previewed it. I like the Hogs at home, especially with Mike Wright, the Vanderbilt transfer, most likely getting the start from Mississippi State at quarterback with Will Rogers out. Only thing that scares me is that 11 a.m. Remember, I talked about 11 a.m. is an, is an advantage for the road team, in my opinion. It just The home team gets started a little late. It's weird. Weird deal, from my experience. It's just a weird deal. But I like Arkansas to cover this win by more than a touchdown. I just do not see Mississippi State doing much offensively. And State's defense just got worse this year. West Virginia. Give me a minus three and a half at home against Oklahoma State. It's going to be some nasty weather. Kind of like the under here, but I already took the three and a half. If you're listening now, take the under. I like that one too, but I like the Mountaineers to get the three and a half, uh, minus three and a half uh, win here at home against the Pokes. Going back to the SEC, give me the Ole Miss Auburn, speaking of over under, the under 55 in this one. It's be a low scoring affair. Auburn's defense at home plays well. Auburn can't get much going. Ole Miss defense improves. Easy under 55. Michigan, as you can see, under a lot of turmoil right now. Uh, we're not a Big Ten show. We'll talk some, though. I mean, the investigation into them sending people out to go scout in person and stealing signals. Stealing signals isn't a big deal. It goes around everywhere. But sending people out on the road, I'm sure that, that happens more places than you probably think, but it's definitely against the rules. But they're minus 24 and a half at Michigan State. That's not enough. I think, Mich- I think Jim Harbaugh is going to try to go embarrass Michigan State while they're down. Why? He's going to kick the horse while it's down. I mean, Michigan State, I mean, they got athletic department, university issues right now, especially after the whole Mel Tucker stuff. But I think Michigan puts a beat down on Michigan State. They're just better, and this is their chance to just rub it in. Give me the Wolverines minus 24 and a half. Staying in the Big Ten. We talked about the Big Ten West, and if Arkansas could win it, I think they would. But here's a Big Ten West matchup for you. Give me the Iowa Hawkeyes minus three and a half at home. Versus Minnesota than the fighting P.J. Flex. I like Iowa at home. I like them to cover the three and a half. Don't see Minnesota scoring a whole lot. Same with Iowa. But Iowa's defense is nasty. I think they cover the three and a half. I think they're going to win this game by like 17. And then finally, this one is a gut feel. No real research in. This is just a gut feel. Give me BYU plus three and a half at home against Texas Tech. Give me BYU plus three and a half against Texas Tech this week in Provo. I don't know why. I picked BYU last week getting points against uh, TCU. Didn't happen. But I kind of like them this week at home. That's a weird trip for Texas Tech. Give me give me BYU. So recapping the money-making weekend, week eight picks for you heading into the weekend. Oklahoma minus 18.5 over UCF. I like this one. Arkansas minus 6.5 at home against Mississippi State. Arkansas coming back home for the first time in a month. West Virginia – at home, minus three and a half for Oklahoma State. Ole Miss, Auburn, under 55. Michigan, minus 24 and a half at Michigan State. This is a real shot for Harbaugh to put his throat on his rival or put his foot on his rival's throat. Iowa, minus three and a half at home versus Minnesota. And then BYU, plus three and a half against Texas Tech at home. Let's go 7 0, guys. Let's go 7 0. But again, I appreciate you joining us on this episode of Mock 10 Sports. We're supposed to have Jay Graham on. 
had an emergency come up. He couldn't make it. We'll get him on again. Uh, we previewed the four SEC matchups in uh, for week eight within the SEC. We talked LSU Army. That a conference game. We talked a little SEC basketball media days. We talked a little SEC basketball. It's never been in better shape. More NBA draft picks than any other conference in the past four years. Got some dynamic coaches. Nate Oates, John Calipari, um, Rick Barnes, Eric Musselman, Chris Beard, Chris Jans, you name it. We're going down the list. Great league right now. Can't wait for the season. We're just under three and a half weeks. We'll have our preview show again on October 30th with Southeastern 14th. Max Barr joining us. And like I said, I gave you my week eight making money gambling picks. But again, I appreciate you joining us on this episode of Mock 10 Sports. You have a fantastic weekend. Keep following us on Mock 10 Sports for the best information on SEC sports.